Welcome to Guitar Radio Show, the show dedicated to the guitar player, guitar maker, gear builder, and purveyors of such items that you may not know about, but should. Here's your host, Mark Davin. All right, people. Our next guest has uh, played with the likes of Steely Dan and many others, as well as his own new record, which is out now, and it's called Adult Entertainment. We have with us Mr. John Harrington. How are you, John? I'm good. Good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Um, I really like the new record a lot. Um, I've uh, I've already picked some favorites of mine. Uh, oh, there, yeah. There's a track on there that I really, really love, and it's just the the lyrics are so tongue in cheek, but yet they're they're brutal at the same time. And it's a track called <laughs> it's a track called Sla- Slaughtered by Love. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I get that backbeat. The backbeat. Yeah, yeah that the groove is. Uh, it's you know, it's like um, uh, what's it? What's it? Beast of Burden is the one I think was on uh-huh. the line as far as the, the groove goes. Right. But uh, <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a bit silly. That well, the lyrics on this record, uh, I hope, are what sort of make the record hang together. We had a lot of fun, uh, Dennis. This Batman, the bass player, and I had a lot of fun writing these tunes, and uh, and uh, we weren't even planning on making a record, but uh, all of a sudden, you know, because we were making such quick progress, and these tunes all seemed to hang together in that in that lyrical way so well. Uh, yeah, I said, oh, I, I think we better make this record. So uh, it's fun. Well, that's great. I'm glad you did. I mean, and uh, you're right; it does have a bit of a Stonesy vibe to it. I guess, yeah, for sure. I hadn't thought of it. Well, I there are a lot of uh, yeah, well, there's a, there are actually a whole lot of uh, um, sort of unapologetic references uh, to to uh, all the pop music I grew up loving uh, when I was a kid. Um, that was sort of the, the idea. Somehow, musically, the idea behind this record was to uh, kind of let myself be inspired by all the pop music from the you know. The, my early days uh, of as a guitar player, which were really around like 1968 uh, mm-hmm. through 72, you know, my high school days, and yeah. uh, that's when I started playing and when I started writing tunes. And it was really British Invasion time, you know. Yeah. And um, so, with this particular record, um, unlike some of the past ones, um, I just sort of wanted to approach it from a songs standpoint first and you know dress it up with guitars later and uh and you know i remember like you know back in uh in the late 60s and early 70s even you could have say a rolling stones record uh where you know there'd be a country song there'd be a chicago blues cover there'd be some you know pop tune that they wrote themselves on and and mm-hmm. this all these tunes would be seamlessly sort of on the same record and nobody blinked you know it wasn't like a formula approach at all it was uh they were just sort of picking and choosing stuff that they loved you know there'd be a motown cover on the same record you know so there was a lot of range in mm-hmm. the styles but somehow you know that all existed very comfortably on the same record and uh so that was sort of part of part of my idea in the, in making this record to sort of honor all those pop music roots that I loved. But, right. but, but they uh, they span a whole range of styles as as do these tunes on the uh, on this record. And um, there are a lot of little uh, sort of little uh, sort of tributes like uh, there's a guitar solo that's sort of my uh, my sort of attempt to update the, the, the Jimmy Page kind of uh, solo guitar sound that I love from the early Zeppelin records. Mm-hmm. That one, I think that's uh, on uh, Little Big Shot. And there's the trades in uh, the guitar solo trades in Blacklist in Bougieville, which, you know, it's like the ad, the end of Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's the, there's the stutter and the vocal on um, uh I think it's also a little big shot that's kind of a, a who tribute. You know? mm-hmm. So all those, there's all these little things that uh, I, uh, I definitely, like like I said, I unapologetically let myself include. Because cause we had such a ball, the, the, the thing was such a, a fun record to write that I wanted to sort of let the, uh, the, the producing of it and the arranging of it and the, and the guitar playing sort of reflect that vibe, you know, just to sort of 
For sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's interesting too. Like, like uh, on uh, "No Way, No How, Not Me," I, I love the harmonies. Uh, those that counterpoint is really great in there. Oh yeah. Um, but that, but that almost has like a birds kind of a vibe to it. It sounds even like the monkeys to me. It's like a little like I'm a believer. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So you know, again, I, and that sort of. That one has a tiny bit of uh, the sort of Americana or the country influence, but yeah. that was that was present on all, on so many early Beatles records. I mean, there were a lot of tunes that uh, they were doing Carl Perkins covers mm-hmm. at one point, and you know they you know they they, they also sort of cherry picked from all over the place, all kinds of styles yeah. that they, uh, they liked. So uh, you know, it was uh, yeah, and that one uh, particularly, um, you know, that, that sounds like sort of almost like. Bopper fun to me. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, the lyric. The lyric is a little updated. <laughs> I really dig the harmony in there because it's that it's that ascending descending counterpoint that goes on between those voices. That's really just super cool. I've never been able to pull that off myself. I really like that a lot. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's fun to listen to. Um, I mean, there was a moment there, and I was like, "Oh, this is almost kind of you know Wilburys." But that we yeah, know, I think definitely that well, we that know where that came from. So. All that, yeah, all those guys are sort of uh, they come from the same sort of era and the same you know, yeah. it's sort of the same same general tastes. I think yeah. it's a songwriting focus, but it's also there's a you know a certain kind of tradition of music that it honors too. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, you come in from the Jersey Shore. Um, I mean, right. you had you you had really. Because what was going on there during the British invasion was also people, you know, like you were saying earlier, you got a lot of people digging Motown and R&B, you know, I mean, like Sam and Dave, you had the Beatles, you had the Who, the Kinks, and, you know, all that. And then, of course, coming out of that was that was that Jersey sound, which was even before with Fran- with uh, the Four Seasons and stuff like that. There was this Jersey, there's a, there was a true Jersey sound. Well, the, the the young rascals. Yeah, from, uh, I mean, actually, actually, Eddie Brigatti is a good is a friend and uh, good friend of Dennis uh, bass players, and um, they, they were they were childhood buddies in Jersey, and uh, yeah, so there, there was quite a lot. I mean, it was definitely the I think the whole sort of area where we lived, uh, and all New Jersey certainly was uh, well, most of New Jersey, especially where I was, uh, was influenced by New York New York City radio. I mean, um, that's. That's where I grew. I mean, I grew up just with my ear glued to the radio from the time I was a little kid, and uh, and you know, it just got it sort of just shifted to the FM dial when uh, you know when the late '60s happened and stereo happened, sure. and, and all of a sudden it was album-oriented rock on on radio. Uh, sure. That was a huge shift. But um, but you know, uh, I you know, I lived in around the Jersey Shore, a town called West Long Branch, and. Um, Bruce Springsteen used to regularly play our high school dances, <laughs> which is pretty wild. Yeah. He was a local guy and uh, just gigging around, and uh, and he was fabulous. We were big fans, and we used to go go hear him open for the Allman Brothers at a place called the Sunshine Inn in Asbury Park, which uh, which you know before he, he I think even before Stone Pony was there. Maybe wow. I'm not sure. My history isn't all that perfect about that stuff. So they but, were uh, doing they were doing yeah. covers though, right? They weren't doing originals, were they? No, I mean, Bruce was doing almost all original music. He, he did yeah. some covers, but it, but it was almost all original music. He was uh, he was an early uh, you know original music writer, and uh, I thought he was a great guitar player. And uh, I remember seeing him the first time um, at, at my high school. At one of my high school dances, it wasn't really a dance anymore because it was the beginning of the era where people just sort of sat down and listened. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't. Uh, we weren't dancing, but uh, it was wild. He had like he had a Marshall amp and a Les Paul, and he had he had like holes in his blue jeans. He had hair halfway down his back, and uh, and he had like two Marshall caps. One was over by one side of the PA, the other one was on the other side by the PA. So it was this great, you know, huge guitar sound, and um, I thought he played great, and because he kind of played like he sang, it was very lyrical, you know. And yeah. I was, I've been been drawn to that kind of playing. Yeah. You know, I, I don't need the flash. I mean, I I learned how to play jazz, and I you know I kind of enjoy some flash too. But uh, but mostly I, I was always drawn to you know melody and mm-hmm. uh, and soul on the guitar. And I just thought he was even even at that age he sounded great. Mm-hmm. 
he get, he farms out a lot of guitar to other guys in the band, but I always enjoyed him the most. You know? Yeah, he's really an underrated guitar player. He really is. I think so. I mean, I, you know, he's. Uh, I like when he solos. It's it's just it's really from the gut, you know. Yeah, right? for sure, absolutely. So it was fun. I was. So, I mean, music was everywhere. I don't know. It's just you know, kids. I don't know if kids do it as much. Uh, as we used to but I mean everybody played and we just you know my basement was a noisy place I'm glad my mother was very kind kind to us <laughs> yeah well you were talking about radio before um, and then when FM came along what were the stations for you was it like NEW and yeah it was NEW FM uh, pretty much exclusively you know yeah. all the time and before that it was uh, I suppose I forget which the, the AM stations I mean might have been Oh, ABC, yeah. Maybe ABC Radio, I don't know. But I mean, you know, I remember the first the first single, first record I bought was Big Girls Don't Cry by the Four Seasons. And, uh, and um, I, I bought a lot of Beach Boys records, mm-hmm. and I was a big Supremes fan, a mm-hmm. Stevie, little Stevie Wonder fan. And mm-hmm. So there was a combination of a lot of, a lot of Motown and a lot of, uh, a lot of just sort of, you know, uh, pop from, from that. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, but then, like, I remember when I first bought my, bought LPs, it was, it was like a new era. This, uh, I remember going out to a store, and I think I bought three albums the same day. I don't know, must have saved up my, my allowances or something, but I bought Disraeli Gears by Cream. I mm-hmm. bought Are You Experienced by Jimi Hendrix, and, and another Beatle record. I'm not sure what, I think it was the White Album already, but it could have been Sgt. Pepper or something like that, but it was, but those were some of the earliest records I bought, and and you know to this day they're still sort of they they, they still sort of define my uh, my basic sensibility when I sit down to, to you know write a song or to create a guitar sound you know it, those are the sounds that are still you know that's what I sort of it's my default sort of <laughs> go to sort of sound and, and inspiration. You know, mm-hmm. Well, those two those two records. I mean, years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those two records in particular, just really gears and and are you experienced? Are probably two of the most raw guitar records of those time of that time period. Yeah, they. they uh, I mean, in a way, uh, my favorite uh, Clapton sound uh, was was the live sound on Wheels of Fire that he got. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite recorded guitar sounds. Mm-hmm. Psychedelia, but but really reinvented. I mean, with the, with that kind of drum approach, it was so wild, and mm-hmm. uh, and also like a, a very healthy dose of of traditional British, uh, you know, music, um, folk music uh, factored in there too. Because mm-hmm. particularly Jack Bruce, uh, it seems to have been really into that, and uh, and just been happy to sort of borrow quite freely from that whole mm-hmm. great. Once again, it's it's all about what it's all about what the media hands us and offers yeah, up to. Time, it certainly was. You couldn't just dig and find anything you wanted. I mean, basically, and I didn't need them to. I mean, I've always had really kind of mainstream taste because you know there was something about like I mean there was plenty of uh, I wasn't look I wasn't uh, disappointed in the pop music and the and the British invasion music. I just thought that was this pretty remarkable time and. Mm-hmm. Some of those, you know, records made by like 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Zeppelin, you know, I mean, it's amazing, amazing sophistication for uh, for how young they were. So uh, they yeah. they were really listening to the right stuff, and they were obviously very talented people. You know, so yeah, and it was always interesting pretty, to pretty see. Amazing time. Yeah, oh yeah, and it was very interesting to see. You know, uh, later on when you were able to dig back, dig further back, and find out who who was the main influence for. You know any particular guitarist like Clapton's main influence wasn't the same as Keith Richards or uh, you know or or uh, or Clapton is the same as Hendrix's so it, it, because of that we got their personality woven together with that sort of like with Stevie Ray sort of like with Stevie Ray Vaughan with you know him loving Hendrix and Albert King and meshing yeah, that together that. but but it's also uh, interesting that that any any of those guys because they're all such accomplished individuals you know and and you know um they what i think allowed them to be great one of the things that allowed them to be great was was their sort of a kind of surrender even if it wasn't a conscious thing but a surrender to their natures you know to like in other words just letting themselves be you know who they were and uh you know, because, I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan, I mean, uh, you certainly do hear how much he loved Hendrix, and you certainly hear how much he loved Albert King. But really, at the end of the day, he really sounds like himself. You mm-hmm. know? Like, yeah. He's so, he's so, he's nothing like Hendrix, really, because his personality is so different. You know, Hendrix was, was a kind of a, a wild, creative kind of, uh, you know, explorer and mm-hmm. searcher. And, and Stevie Ray Vaughan's personality was, was, he was sort of a weightlifter, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he had, a, he had a much more, he was all about discipline. I mean, even though he was, you know, he had a, he had a substance abuse problem for a while. He, he did kick it before he died, but, but he was, he sounds to me like, like a muscle man, like, like an amazing disciplined guy. Like, you know, you never hear a sort of a slip up or anything. That's definitely yeah. not true with Clapton, for instance, you know, right. but you, you know, he, he just was, almost kind of a, a, like an intense perfectionist in a way, an right. extremist in a way, but like a weightlifter, like a bodybuilder or something. Yeah. You know? Hendrix was nothing like that. I mean, the records are beautiful, but, but he was a searcher and, a, and an explorer and, a, you know, like a like an interplanetary traveler on the guitar, mm-hmm. as far as it sounds to me. Yeah. Very different personalities, you know, that, that way. And, um, and Albert King, too. Albert King was, you know, I mean, he's, he was not at all that kind of, uh, you know, I mean, Stevie Ray Vaughan almost has this kind of machine type power to me, you know, like this unbelievable sort of like awesome strength and power and consistency. But Albert King was, he sounded like, you know, he played the guitar like he sang, the way I thought about Bruce Springsteen, you know, just like, it, it, there's no difference when he's singing or playing the guitar. It has, it, it's, it's all very simple. It's very soulful. It's, he's never doing very much, but he's doing it just beautifully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a, and that's a whole different thing too. But you know, these, but all these guys, it seems to me, that's the great thing about them that they really were able to uh, realize their own nature. Whether that, you know, it might have felt like limitations from one point of view, but none of those guys sound like that at all. They all sound like guys who, you know, were sort of able to sort of just be very much who they were in a natural mm-hmm. way. You know, and they weren't trying to be anything that they weren't. And, and to me, that's what, uh, that's what makes them each so, so unique, you know, because they were able to embrace that. And I guess that, that was, you know, a time when people just could do that, you know? Um, and that's, uh, that's again, why I guess I'm always drawn to the music of that time because, mm-hmm. uh, it just seems like so the, the variety, if you think about it, well, even just a handful of those British invasion bands. I mean, listen to the drummers, you know, in The Who and in Cream and in Hendrix. I mean, you couldn't have, you know, for, for stuff that we think of as music of the same era, same time, even like gets lumped into that British invasion category, you couldn't have different approaches mm-hmm. from each of those drummers. They are completely unique. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. I mean, there's nothing like each other. And somehow we just, we said that was fine. You know, we loved all that, you know, and then it, it, it really did change. I think even by the end of the seventies and you know, when drum machines kind of t- start taking over mm-hmm. and it, it all sort of shifted and we, and we, uh, I miss, I miss a lot of that, uh, that room, you know, that, that kind of diversity. 
Yeah, it it, it lent it lent itself, especially in a trio. It lent itself to uh, creating yeah, creating space. Yeah. yeah, creating space and also filling in air too, which was great. Yeah, I love that. Um, when you were at when you were at Rutgers uh, and studying uh, classical and jazz composition, were you also there? Was was your instrument guitar at that time, or what were you doing piano? Yeah, I mean, I, I um, when I when I got to school, I uh, I was I was kind of I, I think of it now as uh, I was a, I was playing guitar probably a little more than I was playing saxophone and piano, but I kind of played the three instruments equally poorly, you know? Mm-hmm. And the first, the first day I, I was at school, I met a couple of players, uh, particularly a, a good friend of mine, Stan Harrison, a saxophone player who, who clearly was a disciplined practicer. And, you know, he, he already excelled, you know, like technically on his horn, he could really play. And, uh, so I was just like, I was kind of embarrassed and ashamed and shocked. And, uh, and, and, and so sort of, you know, dismayed by this, that I, uh, I, I said, okay, I got to get serious. It's a big world out here. And I mean, I wasn't that far from home, but it really felt like a big world compared to where I grown up. You know, and um, I said, it's time to get serious about playing an instrument. So I, I decided not to play piano as much anymore, and not to worry about the saxophone, but to focus on the guitar. I mean, it, it really was the instrument that spoke to me more, just because it was so important to that uh, that music I love mm-hmm. and uh, you know you could sing and play together you can't do that with the saxophone so and you, you know you can accompany yourself it's it's a pitch instrument so it's good for writing as well as, you know, as playing so it just seemed like the natural choice and um, and really uh, I, I got serious and I uh, pretty soon I had enrolled in a couple of uh, uh, jazz well, one was a guitar workshop class, another was a, a jazz improvisation class, and then I and I found uh, very shortly after that found a local teacher um, to, to study privately with, and I actually found a classical guitar teacher for I went to for a year or two. But uh, but you know I, I had never done that. I had never taken a guitar lesson when I was a kid. I just taught myself, and uh, you know I just I just decided okay, I got to get serious about this, and. Um, you know, I, I really started putting the time in, and um, because I really was completely obsessed with, you know, learning how to play the guitar well, um, I decided I didn't want to be a music major, because the music, if I had been a music major, they would have made me practice piano and pass a proficiency test for that, and they would have made me take a lot of history courses that I wasn't really interested at the time, and interested in the time, and uh, so what I decided to do was become an English major and kind of just read and write my way through I thought that would be pretty easy and uh, and, and actually pretty fun and it was and uh, and that allowed me the freedom to take all sorts of other uh, music courses but only the ones I wanted and I didn't have to do that you know piano study and all, which I, I kind of regret and I wish I had done that but uh, mm-hmm. but at the time it was just really critical for me to, uh, to really put a lot of time in on the practicing guitar so I you know I would get up do a couple hours of practice in this little this horrible little windowless room in my dorm you know before we went to breakfast you know so I got really into it you know so <laughs> playing lots of time so w- were they having you do like uh, um, baroque pieces then on the guitar too you were learning classical guitar or uh, I, I did well with yeah with, I mean I did some of that um, with uh, the, the classical guitar teacher I saw but but really I because I was already sort of uh, you know pretty well developed as a as a pick guitar player um mm-hmm. i had real sort of i had real problem committing to uh a real disciplined study of, of classical guitar I, I could never get the right hand together i always felt like such a klutz compared to my uh my picking you know which is like i said i'd already i'd always played with a pick so i was already you know pretty pretty good at that mm-hmm. uh, when i started studying seriously so and also the music I was I was so much more interested in uh, in jazz and pop music than I was you know jazz pop blues and rock really uh, than I was in classical music on the guitar I, I was not a huge fan of uh, the typical guitar classical guitar repertoire I, I'm still not really I mean I, I love Bach on the, on the guitar and, mm-hmm. and there's some amazing players who just you know and there's some 
some modern pieces that that I, that I enjoy. But but mostly, for the most part, I just I never, I didn't fall in love with the sound of like a classical guitar. I mean, I, I grew to love it later, but uh, but even at the time, I mean, I, I fell in love with the sound of you know um, uh, an electric guitar through a tube amp, you know, cranked up, you know, yeah. <laughs> that singing kind of lyrical sound. That, yeah. that, you know that you know again we talked about with you know Clapton and Hendrix that they that they were getting. I mean, that's 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 really what drew me to the instrument. I think, and uh, I came to love you know. Wes Montgomery and George Benson, you know, a, a pure jazz guitar sound that, that's a good one like those guys had. Um, but um, but that was also later and, and an acquired taste. You know, I really, I was uh, like a rocker. You know, from the that's what I, that's what I always loved. Yeah. So once you, once you got to New York and started to do your thing there, um, you would, you were playing around and doing, doing sessions and, teaching um but you were also doing broadway shows as well yeah i did for quite a while i uh, i got to new york in 84 and um struggled for quite a while to find work i enjoyed um but you know after after several years of plugging away i began to get uh, called to like sub on broadway shows and to you know i found a couple you know bands to play locally with I, I got some teaching together I began to get calls for some recording sessions and, and some of them were, were were nice records that I got to do um, and but really like some of the most consistent work through the 90s for me was was in Broadway show pits and I played uh, I played Tommy for a while and mm-hmm. I played uh, which is fun of course because all that Pete Townsend stuff to do sure. but uh, I also played uh, an Elton John musical called Aida uh-huh. for its four year run and mm-hmm. um, I also did uh, I was I played the last two and a half years of the Hairspray run actually also which was kind of funny um, and then I did a lot of subbing on other shows like Smokey Joe's Cafe I would sit there for quite a while while the guitar player who was doing it was on the road and you know, so I, that that decade was quite a lot of Broadway work for me, and uh, and funnily enough, uh, it was uh, an acquaintance I met there, a friend I met uh, playing in the in the uh, Broadway uh, in the Broadway version of Tommy, um, a guy named Ted Baker, who was a keyboard player there. Um, that was my connection to Steve Dan. He was um, he was doing sessions with them on uh, their recording of Two Against Nature, the record that came out mm-hmm. finally in, in 2000. Mm-hmm. But they'd been working on it for two or three years before that, and he was on all the sessions, that, the tracking sessions that they were doing. And um, they were in the overdub stage in late 99 and looking for somebody to play guitar on uh, some of the tunes. So, uh, you know, he, he had a copy of a record I had done, um, and he brought it in, and they listened to a track, and... And I got a call and uh, went in and did a session, and they called me back a few weeks later. And I did did a few more, and I ended up on four tunes on that record as you know, a rhythm guitar player. Mm-hmm. And uh, somewhere somewhere in that uh, during those sessions, they asked me if I'd be interested in touring. They they said they were planning a big year of touring in two thousand. We're going to Japan, and we're going to uh, Europe, and doing a states tour. They were planning on doing Letterman and Leno. They had a a VH1 uh, DVD they were going to make and they had a uh, PBS special that was another DVD that we that we made so it was a huge year and of course I said said yes right away and um, and kind of overnight my uh, my work scene changed from uh, sort of a a very local New York City freelance guitar player uh, to uh, to like a you know a road dog, you know, <laughs> a, touring, uh, a touring guitar player because after that first year of working with Billy Dan, uh, it sort of put me on the map, I guess, as a touring guitar player. Mm-hmm. And I got calls from Bob Skaggs and worked with him quite a bit over the next several years. And I did it as soon as the, the, that next Boz tour was done, I got called to play with Ben Midler and did that for a couple of years. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, yeah, all, I mean, all of a sudden, like, my work shifted from local to uh road the road and it hasn't and it has never moved back i mean I, I still do some work in town when i'm home but but uh 
you know, it's, uh, I'm away as much as maybe six months a year sometimes. Maybe this, this year it might even be a little more than that. So, so, uh, but it, it was, it was wild the way that just kind of. How, how was that acclimation? Like overnight. How was that acclimation yeah. process for you? Well, it, it was an extremely exciting uh, first year with Lee Dan. I mean, to, to go from not having really done any any long or serious touring with anybody. I mean, I had done some stuff earlier with Phoebe Snow, but they were short trips, you know, and, and they were small clubs. We weren't doing, uh, you know, big venues at all, and we had never gotten overseas or anything like that. So, uh, you know, this to go to Japan and, like, to to do these DVDs and uh, you know it's a first class operation a lot of people there's 13 people on stage there's a huge crew and mm-hmm. you know we have, we, had a, we have lots of good help and uh, you know so it was I mean, a fabulous opportunity just to play number one and uh, you know amazing band of you know no weak links in that chain you know mm-hmm. amazing bunch of musicians and playing and, great um, songs and yeah, like a song catalog that really holds up. Oh my I mean, God, doesn't ever. That stuff's unbelievable. I mean, it's. I mean, some of it does sound like it's of its time, and you can you can sort of understand that. But but it's better than that. I mean, it's it, it, the the quality of the writing, both musically and lyrically, and the, and the sort of strange, very sort of unusual personal hybrid that they were able to create. You know, in terms of whatever that style is, it's it's a very interesting blend of so much stuff there's, mm-hmm. there's jazz harmony in there but it's it doesn't sound like a jazz band it's uh, you know it's it sounds like some kind of a pop band but it's, it's got sort of old R&B influences it's got blues influences mm-hmm. it's got uh, funk influences it's you know it's, and it's got even some folk influences on mm-hmm. the earlier records even uh, it's, it's it's wild you know, so yeah, so I mean, for me, it was it was one of the most exciting years of my life just to do all that travel, and because it was all so new. I mean, it's been about sixteen years now, so it, you know, touring isn't it doesn't feel the same. You know, it's uh, it's not it, it's just not as new and fresh as it was. But um, but you know, it was so much fun. I, I had no trouble adjusting at all. This, this was like this is what I sort of. I mean, I didn't dare to dream it, but you know, when I uh, when I was out, when I was in that world, I said, "Well, this is this is exactly what I've always wanted to do." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I never really, uh, like I said, I never dared to sort of dream it or say it out loud. <laughs> but uh, when I found myself there, I recognized, "Oh yeah, this this is this is what I need to be doing." You know, so you know, it was great, and uh, you know, like I said, it's not this after after sixteen years of lots and lots of travel lots and lots of touring you know, it's, you know we go to the, we go to the same places it's not it's not all that exciting to go you know, to Oklahoma City again you know <laughs> but, but you know I still lo- I still love the, the band the music still feels like it holds up and uh, you know it's a, it's a quite challenging job uh, it's challenging as I want to make it There's, it's open ended in terms of like you know if I want to do something different I have total freedom to do it you know and so you know it's uh, and again the, the band is better than ever as far as like you know this, this rhythm section is just unbelievable mm-hmm. it's, just, it's such a thrill to play with these guys it's just it's this beautiful machine and it's fantastic how great they play together and so uh, you know that's just that's a treat I've never I've never felt anywhere else you know that's just yeah. as good as it, it gets you know it doesn't get any better than that it just gets different you know I mean there's sure. lots of different ways to play well but but man when, when I get to play with them it's just such a treat you know so mm-hmm. so wh- when you start when you go and play for somebody like those two guys or you go play with Bet or Boz is it is it uh, is someone handing you charts or is it go go listen to the records and learn it from there it really depends on the on the So say with Steely Dan. With, with Steely Dan, there there usually are charts for which are basic, you know, chord charts and form charts, but they don't really have all that many details, uh, and they certainly don't have details about guitar parts on them. So, yeah, my 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 source is the recordings. Uh, I start from there. I try to uh, 
I learn, you know, I listen to the recordings, you know, and uh, make sure the charts are correct and uh, the form is correct. And then, and I, I, you know, I basically try to get the, if, if there's a part that seems like it's crucial to the song's arrangement, you know, I'll, uh, I'll learn it. Or if there's, sometimes there's more than one, you know. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, a, a little more in the past than we do now, uh, we, you know, we, Walter and I would talk it over and sort of divvy out parts, you know. But um, but basically, um, I try to take care of what feels like the most important, you know, supportive, you know, team player kind of rhythm guitar parts, uh, you know, when when I'm deciding what to do. Uh, and then, you know, if... Depending on you know Walter's the boss as far as like you know who's going to play a solo on the on which tunes and you know there's we're in certain habits after all these years and because uh, we played most of that music but uh, you know so if it's if I'm going to be the, the soloist then you know I'll, I'll try to sort of listen to the record and find out uh, you know okay is is there something about the way that's is there something about the solo that I want to sort of you know um, kind of you know reflect or honor or imitate or you know like is it the same? what's important about it do I have to play those notes not usually but sometimes like you know the beginning of real in the years can you imagine if, if somebody did that tune and didn't play that it would mm-hmm. be disappointing to me so, yeah. so I do play those notes in the beginning you know but but not all the time and like um there's there's tons of room and it's up to me to decide what you know how I want to approach it. So my approach has always been to try to honor what I love. Uh, if there's something that seems important about an approach or a sound or a, you know a tone or or a kind of style or uh, you know uh, then I, I try to I try to grab that you know because you know like I said mostly the most important thing to me is that the the whole thing speaks well and reflects like the, the greatness of those recordings you know mm-hmm. I mean I, I'd like the live thing to be as great as the records I don't need it to be the same but if there's anything I can do to get it to sound like oh yeah this is this is this is an, like another version of that great music you know um, another way to do it but like you know that honors what's important about it you know and so usually that means I'll choose a certain kind of guitar sound once in a while it means that I'll I'll uh play something that's I'll quote something from you know from one of the original guitar players that, that played on the stuff but um, it's pretty free and, and I'm, I'm able to make these choices you know as, as I see fit which is which is an amazing freedom that I've enjoyed with them and so so that, that's a great thing for me that's cool how did you gear change from when you're out with them as opposed to uh, going out with your band uh, well, not all that much. Um, although I've tried different things with with my my own band uh, because, and I do I definitely take less because I'm carrying myself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, I, I have the luxury of you know bringing stuff that I can't lift if, <laughs> if I want. You know, um, but I, I I still treat it pretty simply. And lately, when I'm playing with my own band, I'm using the same app that I use. You know, with Steely Dan, typically it's a uh, map made by a guy named Guy Hedrick, uh, designed in the late '90s, I believe. Uh, and I've had it since um, I've used it since uh, 2000. It's the first Steely Dan tour, and I, I've had other amps too, and uh, notably uh, a couple amps made by uh, Bluto Tone, a company in in Colorado, uh, which is you know, fantastic builder um, of amps as well and those are beautiful amps too uh, but I got used to using the Guytron Live and it's so user friendly it's so easy to use it's uh, that I it, it's it's sort of my go to amp it's, it's been the only one I've used to steal in for the last couple tours and uh, and uh, it's what I I'll bring the head with a smaller speaker when I have to carry it myself you know, mm-hmm. so. the head's heavy too but uh, the cabinets are kind of unwieldy so uh yeah, I just uh, I'll bring us basically a smaller version of, of the same kind of rig, you know, smaller pedal board, smaller uh, speaker, and but the same amp. Mm-hmm. So uh, have I, I've seen you. I think I've seen you playing a Collings guitar. Is that true? 
I do have one. Yeah, it's uh, it's I forget what the, what they're what they call it, but it's it's sort of a I think it's I think it's a double cutaway one, and yeah. it's beautiful. And uh, and it um, I, I I changed a few pickups in it until I found the ones I liked. It's it's got these uh, Lawler mini humbuckers in it now, oh, which yeah. seem to seem to work well for me. It's it's kind of a hot guitar though. It's something about it. it's pretty pretty. I think it's just a really solid build, you know. And uh, mostly, I've been using it uh, as a sort of dedicated slide guitar recently. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got because of its design, you know, like an SG, you can get way up right. on the neck. There's this easy access to the high frets, and and so I have the action up a little bit, and uh, it really works well for that. I've got it in a different tune. Uh, I use it for slide on some stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a go to guitar like uh, like my main two or three, but uh, which are what? It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful guitar. Well, I guess the one I use most um, is a, a Custom Shop three thirty six uh, Gibson three thirty six. It's like mm-hmm. a shrunken three thirty five, mm. but it's a slightly higher end build. It's um, it's got a back and sides carved out of one piece of uh, mahogany instead of maple, you know, and um, and it's got a book matched maple top instead of a laminate top like the 335 has it's smaller I, I find it a little more comfortable to play um, this particular guitar is a, is a like a really alive sounding one and I think it's already got a little age uh, that's helping it sound too because uh, I think I bought it in 2001 or something like that so I've been playing it for a while it's a little beat up looking but it's 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 um, the, one of the things I like most about it is uh, it will it will sort of you know, you can rock out with it if you want. Um, and uh, the treble pickup is, is a good one, and it's got a got a nice tone with with a cranked up amp. But it's it's got enough uh, acoustic quality and enough wood there so that I can I can kind of get a jazz guitar sound on the rhythm pickup if I roll the tone down or have the right settings on the amp. So I uh, I do a lot of work with a singer named Madeline Peru. And, uh, and that's what I'm on the road with now, and uh, and I'm carrying all my stuff myself, so I have a very very small sort of portable rig, but it's uh, but it's the only guitar I bring, and so uh, it gets more use than any other guitar mm-hmm. that I own because it'll it'll it's great for a lot of the steely dance stuff, and it's 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 a pretty pretty good jazz guitar for for me at least on uh, on Madeline's case. And it'll fit in the overheads. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what about? I also, I also go ahead. I was going to say. Uh, I also do. I also uh, get a lot of uh, use out of an SG, uh, a custom shop SG that I uh, bought a few years ago, which has just really this uh, amazing uh, treble pickup sort of sound for uh, you know with the Gytron and. Uh, and actually, with the Pluto tone too, it's just a, it's I don't know. There's something about it. I'm not sure why it sounds so great, but it just it really rings. It really it kind of cuts, but it's it's rich and fat and beautiful. It's got it's really got like that. I can get that that sort of something like that favorite. Uh, like I said, that wheels of fire clapped in sound. It's yeah. kind of go for that with yeah. it, and it's really great at going there. Somehow it's, it gets me closer than any other guitar that's so a lot of fun it's a little bit of a liability because it's uh, it's got so little body that you know and so much neck you know it's uh, it's a it, it's a little the joint is a little shaky you know so you, you know it's almost like the whole neck is a whammy bar so you can kind of, you can kind of use it as a vibrato thing by just by moving the neck but so it's <laughs> Gotta really listen. It's it's a little tricky to play to play in tune, but um, but it's such a it's got such a great sound that I, I can't resist. And it's comfortable to play. It's really a fun guitar and really play. light. I assume. So, yeah, it can, yeah, it's just pretty light. Yeah, it's a good weight. And um, so yeah, it's it's. I was looking for something. I, mean, I had a Les Paul that I that I really liked, an old Les Paul custom that I I was given uh, several years ago, and and I loved the sound. Uh, I got I put some nice pickups in it and had had it. And new frets put in entire frets, and and I love the sound, but it was killing me. It was too heavy, so yeah. that's when I started shopping for an SG. I said, "Well, maybe I can find something I like," and I actually like it better. I, I, the, for some reason, this particular guitar just really is a is, is a nice 
I got lucky. So yeah. good one. When, when you're, when I, you're, I, knew, uh, I knew I had found it. Um, I, I just say I knew I knew I'd found it even before plugging it in because I could uh, just hear from from coming off the wood just when I sat down with it in a music store. Yeah, see, what in Australia? That, that's what I was going to ask you. Actually, is like you know when when you you know what is it for you? Is it is it just an overall feel? It's a mojo thing for you as far as when you find the instrument. Well, I, I mean. I, very hard to buy guitars I think for me to shop for guitars and I'm glad I don't do it much um, and don't need to do it much anymore but uh, you know the, the problem is for me like if a guitar isn't set up well and isn't playing well it doesn't feel good to play it's really hard to convince myself that it's it's one I ought to own you know um, even if it sounds good um, and that's so that's the trick um, because a lot of guitars especially older guitars you know might really sound good but um, you know it, it's hard to fall in love with one that doesn't feel comfortable to play so so right away if, I, if I'm going to buy a guitar I mean I, I have to just sort of sink a lot of money and a lot of work into it right away to make it sort of useful for me and uh, mm-hmm. it's got to have you know but, but it's got to for me I found out now I you know the kind of string spacing I like, and you know how how wide a nut I need, and just how thick and you know, how much meat I need on the on the, the wood of the neck, and you know I, I know what's comfortable for me after all these years, and uh, so I, I probably would be better a better shopper than I used to be, but you know it's, you can't just buy on uh, how it feels to play because it's got to sound great too, so. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's tricky, you know. It's not it's not an easy thing, and, and they're never they're never perfect somehow. But uh, so you know, when you find one that's close, you know, when I find one that's close, I I work to sort of try to you know you know get the right frets on it, put the right electronics in it, um, you know, uh, and um, you know, just I hang on to it because <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I don't find it easy to find to. Yeah. Uh, Sure. I don't like switching guitars that much. I, I feel like I, I play better when I, you know, I, I'm comfortable on the instrument and I, you know, I know it. So switching guitars is, I don't really like to do it, do it too much. Um, sometimes I do it because I really do want a different sound, but, but it always sort of makes me feel a little bit compromised technically because uh, things are in a different place and you know it takes a little adjusting. I, I can get there, but it's, uh, you know, I think I really. I like it simple. I don't like too many mm-hmm. options. Really. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I agree with that. Absolutely. So w- when is uh, the John Harrington band getting out to do some more shows? Well, we don't have anything booked right now. We, uh, we did do, I mean, I tried to find room in my calendar this year and, uh, and I was able to in September. We, uh, I think we did four or five shows and, uh, and, and it was fun. Um, but I just, I've, I've had so much, it's been such a busy travel year. Uh, that I just haven't uh, haven't found more empty space in the calendar to book it, and and it really, uh, I mean, it's a labor of love to some degree. We're we're, we're making a much better money uh, when we go out and play than we did uh, seven years ago when I sort of tried to revive this, you know, with a little gusto. But um, but you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't really pay the bills. What, what pays the bills are uh, my uh, you know my normal touring uh, in support of these other artists like mm-hmm. like uh, Steely Dan and Madeline right mm-hmm. now it's been mostly Steely Dan and Madeline for the last several years mm-hmm. and uh, you know that's that's a lot of that's a lot of time away it's a lot it's a lot of playing so uh, so you know uh, and making that record you know uh, making the last record uh, that took up a lot of my time when we were home and I I didn't want to I didn't want to be out gigging with the band in those empty months. I wanted to use the, that time to finish the record. So sure. we did that. And, uh, yeah, now the only, uh, the, the trick is finding uh, room in the schedule to do some more. But, hmm. uh, but we, we had some fun and, uh, we, we, we hit it hard a few years ago. We were, we were doing, uh, quite a few more gigs per year than we, than we did this, this last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so it's, but it's mostly, uh, a function of my getting too busy with, uh, the uh, the other work, you know, yeah. men, So, so but I, I like to do it all. So that's the that's the thing for me. I, I I don't think I. I mean, some guys are sort of born to do just one thing, and and they excel at that. And and for me, um, you know, I, I've got this really. I mean, even just these three these three gigs.
the one with Steely Dan, the one with Madeline and my own band, for me, they're, they're all so different. Um, you know, with Steely Dan, you know, you know what that's about. It's a 13-piece band. It's quite loud on stage. With Madeline, it's whisper quiet. It's just three of us. There's an upright bass, and he doesn't even have an amp. You know, it's that quiet. And, uh, you know, I, I have a little rented deluxe reverb, and it's on two, you know. <laughs> so, and then my volume was rolled down on the guitar. You know, it's so quiet. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so refreshing, and it's, it's so different that, that I, you know, coming off of a Steely Dan tour and going on to that, it's, it's just... Oh, this is cool. It's so different. You know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, after a while to go, you know, then, you know, or to go from Steely Dan, you know, with 13 people on stage to do my own trio where, you know, I'm not just playing, but I'm singing and I'm fronting the band. That's all. That's, it feels completely different in all that space compared to 13 people, you know, just bass and drums and guitar. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thing too. So, yeah. you know, I, I think I'd miss any one of those three things if, if I didn't do it for a while, you know, and I, so I'm, uh, I'm really just, I feel, you know, the more time goes on, the more grateful I feel that I have that kind of variety in my, you know, playing life, because it just, uh, I, I'm so happy to get to any one of the gigs, you know, when it's, when it's a different one, so. Yeah. Well, it sounds like such a great balance. It is for me, it really works for me, and like I said, it wouldn't work for everybody, but, but it, it does somehow suit me, because I've, I've always been, I mean, I've always been a fan of a lot of different kind of music, and, uh, you know, it's just, if I, if I don't do one for a while, I can say, oh, I get a little, I get a little bug, I say, ah, I need to do some of that, and so, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's nice to have, to have at least that much range. Yeah. Well, I really dig the record, man, I, I think it's really good, and uh, it was a blast to listen Thank to. You. Folks, you can go to CD Baby to pick up John Harrington's Adult Entertainment. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a great disc. That's right. And you can go to my website, too. Uh, that's, that's probably the best place to buy it. Yeah, uh, johnharrington.com. Yeah, if you think in threes, you get the name right. It's J-O-N-H-E-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. <laughs> that's dot pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. And you find it. <laughs> well, it's an easy name to get wrong. In fact, the first Steely Dan record I played on, they got it wrong. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I can't... It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Anymore. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for being on the show, man. It was great to talk to you. Well, my pleasure. It's it's, it's great to talk, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying the record, and uh, I hope you continue to. Will do. Absolutely. All right. All right, hang on one second, but we're going to hang on one second. We're going to sign off right here. Check out Guitar Radio Show on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, Instagram, and Tumblr. And of course, on guitarradioshow.com.